Now entering Nerdist.com. Today's episode is recorded at ATX Television Festival. This year's fest is June 9th through 12th, and you should be there. They've already announced really cool stuff like an Everybody Loves Raymond reunion, Terriers, The Shield, uh, with a bunch of writers from that show. They've got Norman Lear. They've got Hart Hansen. Come on out. Go to atxfestival.com. Get your badge June 9th through 12th and come say hello. know me my name is Karina McKenzie and the first time that I came to the ATX festival I was here as a journalist and as a huge TV fan now I'm here as a writer on the originals and a huge TV fan um, and I'm so excited to introduce you guys to two people who have been beyond instrumental in my career and who have left an indelible and incredible mark on the television world in general they are executive producers, writers, directors, creators, mentors, heroes, multi-hyphenates, and friends, <laughs> um, Julie Pleck and Kevin Williamson. So I guess we should we should start at the beginning. You guys are known when when people say your names together, people instantly think Vampire Diaries. <laughs> but your partnership started a long time before that on Scream. Yes, can you yes. tell us a little bit about how yes. you met and <laughs> you connected? Mean, well, you want me to start and then you just like I want to know what your memory is of meeting me if you have one. <laughs> My first memory of meeting you was when I sold the script. Originally, and you, you, you can actually fill in the other part of the screen story, but my part of it was they sent the script, after I sold it to Bob and Harvey, they sent the script to Wes, and I think he passed on it originally, and you, you can better speak to that because you worked for him. But, and then, but then after the script got set up and they went through who can direct it, they went after Wes to direct it, and then I went over to have lunch with Wes. Were you at that lunch? No. I, no, I was not invited. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember being like actually bitter about it. <laughs> uh, but you, you never showed up at all. In like, I might have, what, I might have like opened the door and or something. Anyway, I went and I went and I went over to meet Wes for the first time. But I was just so sweating and I was so nervous because I had never ever. I think honestly, that's what I remember. Then when we got into the process of filming the movie, I was included in a way that most writers never got the opportunity. Wes sort especially of let me in film in yeah. film, especially where they just kicked the writer to the curb, or they did at the time. I don't know if they, you know, I don't, I wouldn't know. I don't have a film career, but. <laughs> But what, but what they did was, is Julie and I, I do remember, we started to bond in little ways, and we started talking about casting, we started talking about our love of everything, you know, we have so many memories, but I'm so old now that I cannot remember 
all the when they the timeline. But I do remember bundles into that one bundles. Like you know, it's like I remember Scream One, freezing to death in the Northern California filming the movie. She had never made a movie before. I had never made a movie before. So we're both like virgins on this set with all these professionals. So we were sort of hopping around, going, "Wow, wow, this is so cool. That's a crane. That's so cool. That's a camera. That's it." And you know, I would call my mom and go, "Mom, they've got this really big light to make it look like it's night." Yeah, and, you know, and, and that's how green we were. And then we were, then we, then you know, two weeks later, we're kind of bored. Three o'clock in the morning, we're sitting in a car singing Kenny Rogers' Greatest Hits. Yep, yep, yep. And that, that honestly, that was the that was the bond because it, it it may like he said it may all actually have been separate memories that we've just like clumped into the one singular memory. But I remember sitting in the car singing Kenny Rogers along with radio, trying to stay warm, like sneaking cigarettes out of the, you know, out of the, you know, the crack in the window and, uh, and talking about musical theater and realizing we both love musical theater. And then him saying, I'm like, oh, what are you going to do next? And he's like, oh, they just asked me to do this show based on my life, you know, growing up on, on the creek, you know? And I'm like, oh, that sounds cool, you know? But, um, yeah, no, the other side of the scream story is I was Wes Craven's assistant. And so I, um, you know, I'd worked for him about for about a year, I think, at the time. And uh, and I was, you know, I would get him coffee. I would do his dry cleaning. And then I would read the scripts that came in to kind of help out and help, you know, organize things for him. And before Kevin sold his script to Bob and Harvey at, at Dimension and at Miramax, there was, um, they sent it out on what's called like a spec sale, which means they sent it to a bunch of different producers for a bunch of different possible buyers. And Lisa Harrison, who at the time was the development executive at Wes's company, got to bring it, she got the right to submit it to the studio at the time called Live Entertainment, which became Artisan, which became Lionsgate? I don't know. It's no longer in existence. But <clears throat> Lisa read it, and I read it, and we were like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing ever. You know, I think as people who had grown up in sort of the, you know, being an adolescent and the Friday the 13th and, and Halloween years, for us, it was the perfect movie. And there was somebody else in the company at the time who was like, I don't get it. I just don't get it. And we were like, okay. And um, so Lisa was like, that person is dead now. Yeah. <laughs> Lisa was like, screw that, and like, and like, secretly submitted it to live, even though like Wes hadn't read it yet, and that uh, the senior level person was like, nah, I don't think so, and she's like, I this is my torch, I'm gonna, yeah, yeah, no, 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 not who you think, yeah, um, <laughs> no, <laughs> and um, and so anyway, yeah, <laughs> so anyway, short story, short ending is. Miramax got into a bidding war with Paramount because Oliver Stone wanted to do it. Um, live Entertainment, which had like zero dollars and zero cents, dropped out very quickly, and this the show was sold. And they went to, at that point, um, they did come to Wes, and Wes passed. Um, and I think he read it and liked it, but he just felt like you know he had just done Vampire in Brooklyn, and like and and that hadn't kind of gone so well for him. And and I think he was just looking to branch out of what you know, the sort of genre he'd grown up in. And so then they went to, like, Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino and, like, pretty much everyone in the Miramax staple. And everyone, Brian Singer, was, like, circling around it. Um, but I remember, and this is, again, it could be full revisionist history, let me just say that, because I give myself way too much credit for getting this movie made, and it can't really actually be true. <laughs> but um, I remember, <laughs> I remember Lisa Harrison coming back to me and being like, 
you know, they, they none of the directors that they've been approaching are, it's working out, like Brian Singer is going to do something else, and, you know, Rodriguez is only going to do movies that he, that he put together himself, and for whatever reason, they, they, were, they had a script that they loved, and they didn't have a director yet. And so I was like, God, what a shame. And so at the time, I was spending every day with Wes at lunch at his house, and he and I would sit and have lunch and make, like, awkward small talk, and, you know, and um, I said once, I was like, you know, they still, they still don't have a director for that. I mean, remember Scream? It was a scary movie. But remember Scary Movie? Like, they still don't have a director. That script was so great. He's like, yeah, I liked that script. And, and I said, yeah, they just don't have a director. And he's like, well, tell them to make me an offer I can't refuse. And he was kind of joking. But I went right back to my office, and I, I, I sat with Lisa, and I'm like, tell them to make an offer he can't refuse. And they did, and he took it. And so that's how that was born. down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and he and, and he loved it. I mean, he. So loved what you're it. saying is that you're actually responsible I'm for totally, Kevin's career. Yeah. <laughs> I would agree with that. We're I would say maybe for Wes's. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was it about? I mean, you guys went from singing in a car together to when you did Dawson's Creek, you pulled Julie on. Well, you know, everything happened all at once. Right then, it's like right after. Um, we started, I mean, yeah, Soul Scream, it was unheard of. Just a, it rushed into production. They were rushing to find a director. It all sort of happened. And then at the same time, the script, you know, circulated the town, and everyone read it and was like, oh, and I, next thing you know, I had all these meet and greets. And I was meeting everybody under the sun. And everyone was like, well, do you have another idea? Do you have this? That? There was one company that tried to buy the script that couldn't get it. And they said, oh, we've got this book. Could I know what you did last summer? Do you want to uh, develop it? You, you could adapt it. And, oh, hey, do you have any TV ideas? And I met with this guy, Paul Stoop, and wanted to bring me in for um, uh, just a, a meeting. And he said, do you have any ideas? And I was so terrified of not, you know, not giving a good meeting and not... And I just went, yeah, 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 I got, uh, you know, this is more for the Dawson's Creek panel. But I just said, yeah, I got this great idea. And I had no idea. I was making it up as I, and I was just spitting out stuff growing up on the creek. I used to film with an 8mm camera. I used to make these movies. I had my best friend slash whoever. And she, and I just was making it up my, and basically I was telling my life story. I was just really just spitting out my story. And he said, can you come back tomorrow and tell that to some executives? And I said, sure. So then I went home. And, but anyway, the point was it, it got going. I know what you did last summer, got going. I was really, really busy, and I needed help. And then Miramax offered me a big deal and a, a company, and here I am, this little kid who didn't know what I was doing, so I thought, why don't I just hire another little kid who doesn't know what she's doing, <laughs> and we'll do it together. Yeah, and, and I remember I was, I was working at that point. I'd been promoted in Wes's company, and we were doing Scream 2 um, because Scream had been such a, like a monstrous, surprising hit, and they rushed Scream 2 into production. Like, they were like, we need the script tomorrow. We need to go. Courtney Cox has her hiatus. Nev Campbell has her hiatus. We will be shooting this thing come June 1st, hell or high water. Like, there is no window. There is no flexibility. And they're like, so, Kevin, you, you're ready to write the script. Right, and he's like, "Yeah, totally, totally." And then he's like, "I'm shooting the pilot of Dawson's Creek for the next like two months," and we were we were like, "It's okay, it's okay." And so, um, so basically, he's like, "I'm going to be doing both at the same time," and and so I got sent to Wilmington to basically be there for be my him, my babysitter. Yeah, but like, but okay, but we can a, say babysitter. But it was to be there for you, yeah. you know. It well, was. That's <laughs> why, well, the thing is, they don't realize is they we connected, and you know, and it's just like when you read the script, like 
it's really important for a very sort of insecure writer to have someone read your words and tear up. You know, it's pretty to see. It's like, oh, I'm on to something. I'm, I'm, this could be good. I'm on to something here. Or someone who, you know, someone you laugh out louder. And I, I knew her well enough to know what was real and what was sort of, you know, what, and she would be honest with me. She really was. She was just like, eh, eh, this is not so good. You know, this ain't working. <laughs> and she would really help me talk it out. And, you know, and, and when you have someone like that, that's the magic of Julie Pleck then. You know, and then, and, and that's what I really, res- I needed her. I needed her. And I was at the time of my life where, like, to me, there was nothing more fun than like talking about story and so Kevin would call and he'd be like those jerks want me to do a rewrite on like Halloween and he's like I've got nine projects going and I now have to do Halloween as a favor and so I would be like I'll come over and I'd go over to his house and he'd have all his story stuff like spread out all over the table and we'd order Chinese food or pizza, like not pizza, never pizza, Chinese food. Um, and, uh, and he would talk me through what he was doing with Halloween and I would say, oh, that's cool or oh, I don't like that, whatever. But for me, it was fun. And, you know, I was still working for Wes and so it was, it was like I, my friend and I are hanging out and we're talking about story and it was, really, it was a really good time. So then cut to suddenly Miramax and every, the world is getting thrown at his feet. He's got... Dawson's, he's got the Scream franchise. I know what you did last summer is a monster hit. He's basically been accredited with like reinvigorating the teen genre, which really hadn't had its moment fully since John Hughes. And he gets to hire a, a big time executive, big time being in air quotes. Um, but you know, for me, I was like, yeah, I'm in. And right then, that started like a two year period of just like complete workaholic, like. How was this all getting done? I have no idea. Kevin was directing his first movie right when I started. He was already in production on that, at the time, Killing Mrs. Tingle. Um, there was supposed to be a Scream 3 in there. There was a Dawson's Creek in there. There was Wasteland, a show that we did that aired three episodes and then got canceled. Um, there, were, there was so much going on, and it was this whirlwind adventure it's exactly what you expect when you get all that and you don't want to say no and you and you really just have you're just so full of energy and it's so exciting and 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 you know you're destined to sort of collapse it's 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 and you're looking back on it, it's like well duh of course it was going to happen and they all know it's going to happen and they just let it happen and they you let, let it happen, happen and yeah. and you're like and then you look back on it and only can you reflect and go boy that was stupid but. Yeah, well, it's like, take the job, meet the deadline, meet the deadline, take that next job, do me this favor, do this favor, like, you know, oh, oh, success, more success. And I remember the day, like, Premier Magazine came out and had done their power list, and he was like, what number do you remember? Because Gil made you a jersey. His best friend, it was very cute, his best friend made him a baseball jersey with the number of, like, the power ranking. And, I don't remember yeah, that. And it was, the, it was the best thing, because, like, a writer, first of all, was unheard of to be on a power list of anything, and I think it was, like, it was either 13 or 31, I can't remember, like, I'm mixing it up. No, whatever it was, doesn't matter, the point is, is, like, a writer had made the power list, and, like, it was a big moment, but then you cut to, like, you know, the two years later, and you're all exhausted, and you're burnt out, and it's, like, fucking power like whatever, like you don't want power, you don't want anything. And just want um, my mommy. You just want your mommy. <laughs> it, it really was that bad because I was like this. I really had too much too soon. It really was a case of that. And it was really you know, and, and you can't even stop and enjoy it. You can't even stop and be grateful for it. And you are all those things, but you can't sort of feel it. And it really is sort of you know that was a, but it, and that's why once again it's important to have someone who has your back. You know. Well, so would you say you know coming 
after sort of the success of Dawson's Creek or during the success of Dawson's Creek, when everything happened with Wasteland, what is that the thing you you would say you would you learned the most from that is too much at one time is not always a good well, thing. Yeah, yeah, you never, you know, it's so true. You don't learn from your successes. You really do learn when things don't go so well. And 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 then and that's what and that's what happens. And it's just a lifelong lesson. It's a journey, you know, it's a career. It spans I mean, you know, we've been doing this for I've been doing it longer than you. And and um it's just a career. You live and you learn. And I'm still learning. I'm still, you know, that, that's the thing I would really, that's what I always tell people when I, like when I, to, uh, to writing classes or something, is that don't stop learning. Keep pushing yourself. Keep trying to find whatever it is you're doing and find something new about it that can maybe, you can bring, just try to just push yourself, push yourself to evolve as a storyteller. And that's what I, you know, that's the game. When you look at the television landscape right now, you had Julie in your writer's room on Dawson's Creek, sort of in the writer's room. Sometimes you had Greg Berlanti. Do you just, are you just sitting back and like, I created television royalty. You're welcome, America. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I feel like one of my, one of my best talents is for some reason I um, attracted these great talented people and got, and was honored to work with them. You know, I'm, you know, I, I wish I could, I mean, she's, she's super, super talented. You ain't seen nothing yet. You know, Berlanti is just, up and up and away, you know. I mean, it's just I, I do, but I do kind of sit back. I was I was watching her yesterday. You were I was I was tearing up watching her interact with people. You had yesterday. a moment. I had a moment, and I was like, I'm so proud of this woman. I don't. I can't. I cannot even speak. So anyway, it's it's important to have these people in your life, and you know, and Greg watching him soar is amazing. And I wish he was here. And I'm kind of you know I'm just gonna you know. Um, He's a little busy. He's a little busy, but you know, but he's the We're one who got busy. Me. He got me here, and I'm like, well, he was. He's, he talked me into coming. So, sort of after all of that explosion, you you had sort of taken a backseat on Dawson's Creek for a few years. Um, what yeah, that was due to the Weinstein's and the movie deal. They right. reached a moment where they really did impose that contract. Right. So what was it that brought you back to Dawson's Creek for the finale? Because I know that, Julie, you're stealing you, my panel. you were involved in that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, this will be my last Dawson's Creek panel <laughs> question. You guys, you guys go to the panel next. Well, yes. well, well, well no. Jordan got Greg to ask me, thinking I wouldn't do it if he called or something. Jordan so, was the network executive. Jordan Levin. He was the head WB. of the WB at the time. And so uh, Greg called me up, and I was like, well, sure. We were in the middle of that. Amazing, Amazing werewolf film cursed. cursed. <laughs> Julie and I were, were writing. It was absolutely titled. <laughs> yes. we, filmed, we filmed that movie four times. I always thought there was a wonderful movie about the making of that movie. There is. There's, it's going in my book eventually. Cur- yeah, we, we shot that movie four times. Yeah, with, yeah that's a, with different actors. Yeah. It was shocking. The who's who of who was in the first version is hilarious. Yeah, Skeet became Josh Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> um, fine. Uh, 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 Mandy Moore became Maya. <laughs> <laughs> Ileana Douglas became Portia de Rossi. What about Scott Foley? Scott Foley! Yeah, uh, was he, he in the movie? He, no. They, no. <laughs> he was in the first scene. He, he shot he in the first one, but then we didn't have like an ex-boyfriend replacement. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I used to say, I'm going to write a book on how not to make a movie. That would be it. Yeah, that was, um, that was, um, 
But that was three years out of our life. You guys have had high but highs. But anyway, the whole point was, but Greg, call, Greg called up and said, you know, and, 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 and then I went to lunch with uh, Greg Jordan and uh, John Litvak, and we, uh, another amazing person over at the WB, and we kind of, um, they had an idea of, there. it was, it was uh, Litvak or Jordan, I forget who, that pitched, John Litvak pitched the Pushing It Five Years in the Future. Let's just, it's the last episode, let's just wind it down. Which, by the way, people do like all the time now, and was really kind of new at the time. I was like, no, okay, let's, that could work. You know, and, and it's like, you know why? Because I had not kept up for the day-to-day storyline, storytelling of the show, and I might not have, I might have missed an episode, or I wasn't as current, I wasn't up, I thought, you know what, this is a good opportunity for me to sort of have a clean slate. And, and then, of course, I was like, well, yeah, I'll do it, Greg, if you help. And I asked Julie to help me because we were in double duty with Cursed, part five. And so, <laughs> but we, and then Maggie Friedman yeah. was also, because um, it was a Maggie who had worked on Wasteland. That was her first job. Yeah, well, Maggie, who went from Wasteland to Dawson's Creek when that went down, and the same way Sasha did. Remember yeah. Sasha oh, and Xander? Yeah. She was on Wasteland and went over to... And Gretchen. Yeah. So, but the, sister Gretchen, sister Gretchen, sister. But we, um, but but yeah, Maggie Friedman, Greg wrote some. You, you know, you wrote some secretly. I contributed. Um, contributed ideas. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and we wrote it, and uh, the you know the first and second hour, and we just kind of put it together. You know, I, I kind of we wrote it so quickly. I always look back at that first hour and went, boy, I wish I could just do this and this and this. But <laughs> but we, you know, we did it. We got it done. I liked it. I liked it. You guys like it? I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, fast forward yes. a few years. What brought Vampire Diaries to your lap, and why did you guys decide to work on it together? <laughs> She's waiting for me. I, I was in a horrible place. Someone very close to me had died. I was really in a low, low, low place. And Julie... And another friend of ours, Jennifer Breslow, who was at the CW at the time, said, you need to work. They took me to lunch and said, you need to work. Work yourself out of this grief. It's really it's going to kill you. So and I, I can't do it. I'm not ready. I can't do it. I can't do it. She says, I have this book, The Vampire Diaries. I go, yeah, I know. They sent me that book. It's just Twilight. No, forget it. <laughs> and and they're like, did you read it? And I said, no, I haven't read it. No. And they go, you need to work. And I looked over at Julie and I said, what are you doing? And Kyle looks why I had ended. Right. It was like, and it was in between. It was season three was over, but they hadn't picked up season four they hadn't yet. Yet canceled, which it, they ended thing? ended up not picking up season four. And I said, I'll do it if you do it. I can't do it alone. I just can't. And um, we did it together. We started reading the book. I got to page sixty four, put it down, <laughs> and said, "It's not for me." And Julie even called up and said, "Stop reading it, because I know you, and I know she goes. You need to, to let let me finish. You finish the book." And it's not that I'm not saying anything bad about the book. It just wasn't what I wanted to do because I thought I was walking in the heels of Twilight. I, it just really was Twilight. Mm-hmm. And then Julie and I sat down and discussed it and said, well, what else could it be? And I have always wanted to do a Dark Shadows, like a modern sort of cool Dark Shadowsy type show about a small town where all these things go boo. And, and, and Julie, and then, but I also connected, and Julie and I discussed it, and I connected to the idea of this young girl who had lost her parents and that she was dead on the inside and, of course, spoke to my own grief. And then I sort of found, found my way into it, my window into it, and suddenly 
Julie and I are sitting at a kitchen table sobbing and writing it. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly like... Like, I was in a different place because I had just started writing professionally after, like, what, for 13 years of being an executive or whatever. And um, Kyle XY was my first writing job, which I had sort of accidentally stumbled into. Um, and so I'm having lunch with my friend and our other friend, and we're talking about stories and working and all that. <clears throat> and the book comes up, and Kevin says, I'll do it if you do it. And I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm going to do it. Like, are you kidding? Like, this is an opportunity to, like, to d- do this, to do, like, you know, what we did on Dawson's Creek, only do it together and do it officially. And I'm a writer now. And, and so for me, it was like there was nothing that was going to make me not want to do it. So I'm reading the book, and I- I'll be a little bit more bold about being like, well, there's not, I-, I knew, I'm like, there's not a lot in here for Kevin to really, like, get excited about. And I made a decision right then and there. Like, the one thing I'm not going to do is force him into doing this. Because if he's not happy, then the, the whole point of all of this will be stupid. And, um, and so he would call me, and he'd be like, this is not... And I'm like, I know. Don't, like, don't worry about it. And then he'd be like, well, let's try to make a deal. And then he'd call, and he'd say, the deal's not going to work out. And I said, I know. Don't worry about it. And I just kept saying, don't worry about it. And I think it was this combination of like him wanting to do something nice for me um, and... And me knowing that, like, it was going to work out the way it was going to work out, like, no matter what, if he wanted to do it, he would do it. And that's the whole point is, like, you have to want to do something. Like, Kevin has been offered, you know, every job on the earth, and he could have done at any point any of those jobs. And so if you don't love what you're doing, then there's really no point. And so we both, you know, we both use the show sort of, and I still do to this day, like, as an exercise of grief. You know, it's it's an outlet. Really, the entire series is an outlet for grief, and and an allegory for fear of being alone. And you can kind of look at it. I mean, yeah, it's a love story. It's all that, but it's like the moments that I think were most profound to us were little tiny moments, like when he pitched Stefan brings the girls over um, to Caroline because Caroline's been like assaulted practically by Brady the werewolf, tortured and he knows that she needs friends and so he brings her best girlfriends over and they huddle in a circle and cry and she's got her girlfriends there and he pitched that moment in the writer's room I just started sobbing you know, we were just like it's one exercise after another of us just crying all the time, sometimes in a bad way sometimes in the, I'm going to kill myself because I can't do this work another minute like this is so hard, but most of it was little moments like that, you know, finding ways to, like, express loss and love. You guys, I know that there, the first season of The Vampire Diaries was breakneck speed, you know, wasn't the easiest show behind the scenes, <laughs> writing-wise. Um, were there ever times that you guys really, really, really disagreed on a story choice, and how do you, how do you sort of d- resolve those disputes when there's two people? We fought, but I don't know... Did we disagree over anything major? I just thought we just thought. No. There would be like just like <laughs> just like where I would just like go off and be like, well, 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 you know, and then you know whatever. I would, be, I would cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we never like. I mean, the the any season one show is almost impossible. Um, uh, well, we went. I, it was difficult. The writers' yeah. room was a very, very. You know, we didn't. Ha- we didn't know the show. We didn't understand. We didn't. Know it. We, didn't we were trying to figure it out. We, it was one of those things where they threw it at us. We were a last pickup. We we did the show. We we said yes at the final moment, and it was just rush, 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 and we didn't really know what 
what the show was yet. And we were finding it together, learning how to work together, learning how to write together. Because I had never really, you know, I had Julie. Julie wasn't my partner. She was some, She was really, she would help me and help me and help me. And I always looked to her as my helper and my, and, 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 and you know, but not, not like we didn't write anything together. Yeah, Do you no. remember like we had never really done a 50-50 split. It was always her sort of helping me. And this was the first time where I had to go, okay, I'm not, I'm, this is Julie. This, you know, we're 50-50 now. We have to sort of, you know, I had to learn. I had to learn how to, you know, be that guy. And, and it was a little difficult for me. I made mistakes. And, and I stumbled along the way. But luckily, I had Julie. Julie just nods. She made no mistakes. No. The good news is it was Julie who who has been my lifelong friend. So it was the you know luckily I wasn't like someone who you know there were some other writers that I mean you know well we had hired like you know not knowing what the show was we looked at Buffy as sort of a template and a paradigm and I was a big fan of Buffy too so we hired a bunch of writers who had who loved Buffy who loved Doctor Who who loved you know that kind of sci-fi horror sci-fi with a little bit of snark. And weirdly enough, one of the first things Kevin and I discovered was that with ex- with the exception of Damon, I mean, the pilot's a whole different story. The pilot is both of he and I working in our sweet spot, which is like teenagers talking funny, you know. And um, But really soon, it, w- it was with the exception of Damon, the snark just drifted away. And like the, that sort of pop culture-y sort of... The, the it women's voices. It didn't feel right. And then we'd be in the room before we started actually writing scripts and you'd try to break the whole season. And there were points where we literally had pictures on the wall for like the cemetery where the gargoyle comes to life, you know, and like there's a gargoyle monster episode. And we literally did not know what the show was. And Damon, so Damon was, the, you know, the bandit with the gun. And, oh, you know, God and Christ. Yeah. It was a, well, <laughs> But there were all of these, and you know, nothing felt right. Nothing. And we had each hired, you know, best friends, and we'd hired people that were sci-fi junkies. By the way, and, all talented writers. Yeah, oh, yeah. Huge. Yeah, by the way, ext- every writer who's ever le- left or been let go from the Vampire Diaries has gone on to be massively successful. Massively. So we hired great writers. It just wasn't maybe the right writer at the right time. And, and that's, all, that's always the case. It's like, you know, when, when you hear that a writer leaves a show, don't think for a second that they're not talented. Don't think for a second that they're not great. It's just that wasn't the right fit for them. It's just like casting a role. You, sometimes you get it wrong, you know? And, and I, I think the thing that, like, it sucked for you and I because we ended up self-isolating, um, and we did. Like, that, we could tell days' worth of stories on just the two of us crying in our office at 4 o'clock in the morning, being like, we're all alone in this, <laughs> and it's our fault, you know? Well, um, well it was. But it was, Yeah. <laughs> But I still go around and I'll see writers, and the first thing I do when I walk up to them is I just, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so sorry. So sorry. Um, but, you know, TV is a, is a medium of mimicry, and I say that a lot, and I don't know that all writers would agree and, or find that to be a very popular idea, but Kevin's voice is so specific. And I had worked with or for Kevin off and on for like 15 years, and I knew how to mimic his voice, you know? So with. 
what he got from me, you know, was like, oh, I'm going to write this like how I think you would write it. And then it's like one step closer to how he would want it. So it's just easier. And then over time it evolved into he would, you know, stuff would say that I wrote kind of the way I would write it. Or he'd read something I'd written and say, oh, that's really good, you know. And then then, then the, the sort of balance evened out over multiple seasons I had to I had to sort of stop and and not and look at like what is Julie you know your voice what is your voice how is it different from mine what is and it suddenly started you could see us drifting towards certain characters yeah you know and you took over certain characters they became your voice I remember like I think it was the second episode even that Stefan monologue I keep going back to that Stefan monologue and, and as an early on example of when I sort of just like oh wow that was awesome that was just Great. It was epic. Yeah, it was yeah. epic. <laughs> I remember reading that for the first time and just sort of reading it on my computer, going and just tearing up and going, "Oh, that's <laughs> sizzle." The, the sort of landscape of TV has changed so much, but you guys it. found yourselves working on two sort of teen-driven shows in sort of for almost—I don't want to make it sound like you're a million years old—but sort of for two generations of people. I mean. I watched Dawson's Creek when I'm I was old. 12, and I work on originals now. I mean, the you sort of, what do you find, what differences do you find most striking about the landscape then? I mean, the thing that comes to my mind is how different it must be to have the immediate feedback of social media, the immediate access to critics all the time. Well, I mean, <laughs> You know, I, it's so weird. I, you know, Julie can probably, Julie's going to write a book one day on the TV industry. I will not. But I, I tried. When, when, the, when, the CW, when the Vampire Diaries first took off, I tried to get into the Twitter and the social media, and I still tweet a little bit. But she's more of the uh, social media haven. I just, screw it, I fuck up. It's like, I, you know, I say something, I'm trying to be fun and snarky and, and cute and cool, and, and, then, and then I end up insulting someone or someone takes offense to it or someone just, you know, comes at me, and then I feel awful, and then I, and I, and I spiral into depression, and I'm just, and I just, I'm, I hurt, I, my biggest fear is I'm going to hurt someone's feelings. You know, because I don't want to be a bully. I don't want to be mean. I don't, and I'm scared of what hurts someone's feelings, to be quite honest. And so I've kind of just stopped anything too personal and just, I mean, I, I'm sorry, but I just won't, I won't engage anymore mm-hmm. because I just don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. It's a young person's, I feel like, I feel like Twitter is a young person's game. Yeah. Go for it, you guys. Go for it. Well, it's so funny because I will be watch. I will be that lurker. <laughs> we hired, um, we were hiring writers at the end of, kind of the middle of season one, and, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd lost a bunch of writers, and we were kind of restaffing almost from scratch, and uh, a young girl came in to meet with us who had been working on some other uh, WB and CW shows, and Kevin was her idol, and, like, she grew up basically on Dawson's Creek, and it was, she was shaking when she met me. She's like, because I love Kevin, and I love Dawson's Creek so much that I don't even know if I can meet him. And it was Caroline Dries. And we hired her. And so she was like the first generation of like people whose lives Kevin had really changed as teenagers. Karina was probably, by generation, I mean like every couple of years, Karina was probably the second because we met her when she was a blogger um, and a journalist. And she just, she covered Vampire Diaries for the LA Times right from the get-go. And 
and the other producer, Bob Levy, would send us her articles and be like, have you read this girl's stuff? Because she gets the show like nobody else gets it. Like the way she writes her coverage of the show, it's like she sees right into the soul of it. And so he sent us her, it was like episode five, um, Lost Girls, and he sent us her article of Lost Girls. And we were like, this girl's amazing. My whole life changed because of that. Yeah, and like, so we started tweeting at her and then writing, you know, and then we met her and then, you know, then we kind of mentored her and like now she's going to, I'm going to work for her one day for sure. Um, But Karina is, you know, probably what, like four years younger than Caroline and so your, Dawson's experience was adolescent, you know. I'm still waiting for the, you know, in 10 years, that Caroline Dree's experience that, you know, Kevin caused, which is like, Oh, you changed my life with the Vampire Diaries. Right now, all I get is you horrible, horrible, <laughs> dreadful, disgusting. And I think that is the difference. Is back then, Kevin can Kevin got to be like lauded for all of what he did for like YA and for the like the young teen movement. And because of social media and the way that not all obviously, but the way that some people behave on social media, I get to like open up my Twitter and just be like hurled insults at um, which is terrible you know but whatever it's part of the job blah 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 Uh, but that is I would say that's the fundamental difference really do you ever feel like you your writing is influenced by things that you hear online like is there ever you know a moment where you read a tweet and think it it makes you second guess and, and course correct it always makes you think and then you have to remind yourself to let it go you know, you're, you're like, oh, they, they really like these two people. Like, why? You know, and then, <laughs> and then you're like, I don't care how many tweets I get about so-and-so. I will not do it, you know, and yeah. then um, it doesn't feel right, you know, and then it becomes a challenge to like, it, fight back but against But then again, that. it is in other situations. It's very, very helpful to sure. see that immediate response. And it's sort of like, well, the whole Damon thing. You know, yeah. with the Jeremy, I still say that was uh, that was so eye opening to learn. The moment they're talking about the moment that uh, Damon killed Jeremy in the season two premiere, yeah. and they thought that was going to make fans hate Damon. We forever. were trying to tr- we, no, in a good, we were trying to turn the audience against Damon because he had become too heroic too quick, and he needed to be. We needed to take him back to being more of the bad boy that you kind of. You know, we needed we need to keep him a villain for a little while longer. Yeah, and you if forgot- it's a love triangle, you kind of just like do the math, and you're like, well, if it's a love triangle, it's like and, 50, 50. And, and if it's going to last six years, then we got to get to at least year three before the love triangle shifts. You know, I, I had this great idea, this fail-safe plan. Well, if Damon kills Elena's brother, then she'll never talk to him again. There's no coming back. The audience will hate him. Audience. The audience will hate him. They forgot about Ian Summerhalder. No. <laughs> And it's funny because like we've talked about this before, so it's not new news. It's just we were talking about it again last night about how the social media reaction was <clears throat> so profoundly surprising, a little bit upsetting, and fascinating because all these young girls were like, "It's because he's so lonely." And, <laughs> and I go, he killed. He twisted his neck. He was, he was just upset. He was just upset. <laughs> She wouldn't kiss him back after he forced himself on her. <laughs> you know, and we were like, oh my God, like, what have we begot, you know? Um, I don't. And Ian's, just and Ian's just getting more and more famous by the minute. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to uh, make this panel run too far into the next one because we started a little late, but do you guys have questions? Can, you know, show of hands, I guess? You're right here. Get around that when you're writing from multiple different characters. Like, 
characters and making them have an individual voice that's still refining it. I'm not sure sense. No, completely. And it's funny because I don't, weirdly, it, Kevin's very different. I, 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 tr I start writing everyone sort of as real and basic as I can because I don't know the people yet. And then once I get to know the actors and see how they infuse life into my words, then I start writing sort of to their sweet spot, to their patterns. I recognize where they're comfortable with my patterns and when they're, where they stumble with my patterns. And then it becomes like this weird amalgamation of the human being playing the role, me as a writer giving the story life into the role, and then how that gets perceived by the audience, you know, as they define the character. And it, so it's this weird, like, science experiment, experiment, which comes mostly out of the fact that I was never trained in writing. Like, I always was just, you know, I was writing from a fan, as a fan. What would I want to see next? Right. And, 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 you know, that always happens when you cast the role. And you have to sort of, even who your idea of who they are has to shift a little bit because they're not... You cast someone who's very specific. They have to play this part every day for maybe seven years. So you have to sort of write to them, and you have to write to their voice and their and and their uh, who they are. But in the beginning stages, I do kind of I do you know you want to sell the script. You want people to like it. So there is a sort of this thing where you want it to, the characters to pop off the page. And I do think that's sort of that's something that I try to do initially, so that when people read it, they they get jazzed by it. So one of the things I do is I just sort of think I think you know I break the characters down because you don't want you don't want one character talking. I just don't want Kevin talking to Kevin on page. Yeah. So you have to sort of figure out who they are, what they want. Where I always think what's you know what hurts them. Where do they hurt? You know, what's, what's the one thing that went wrong in their life? What did the, you know, wh where's, what's their saddest, saddest moment? And then I also try to think of what their happiest, happiest moment is. And then I sort of say, what's their personality? You know, what do they do during the school? Who are their friends? What are they talking about at lunch? You know, who, what kind of music do they listen to? You know, I try to just get into their head and their space. And then I'd look around me and say, well, who is like that? And then around me. And then I just start to sort of create their voice and create, and, it, and you know, that's how you infuse the way they talk and their syntax and their vocabulary and their rhythm and, and, and you know if you kind of know what music they listen to and you kind of know what kind of what's their jam you can just sort of figure it all out and you're kind of like make them all different in television you're like you're doing setup like Caroline Forbes is a perfect example you know Caroline was like the prototype the cliche like high school bitchy mean girl, right? Who kind of said the inappropriate thing, kind of made the inappropriate pass at the guy that saw through her and was like, mm, I don't think so, and basically did everything wrong. Um, and then at the end of the pilot, she says, why doesn't anybody ever pick me? And you realize, here's a girl that's just trying so hard to... to matter and she's over trying she's overcompensating and what you've done in a tv series is you've set up a girl that by the end of her run as a character she will be the one that gets picked first yeah. you, know? Pick, you know i think it's always too when you look at a character when you're trying to create a character figure out what their biggest secret is but they don't that they just don't want anyone to know and then figure out how they hide it and then figure out yeah and then then you will spend an entire series revealing it I just asked. Uh, we were just talking about this last night. With your, with your Joey, yeah. Um, we're Facebook friends. <laughs> we stay in touch. Uh, you in the middle of the yellow? Um, do you have a particular character in the industry that you really liked a lot more than you know? Oh God. Damon. That, for him, yeah. I mean, he is the Damon guru. Joe Carroll. Joe, yeah. I liked writing. 
I'm sorry, I like not writing for Pacey. And, um... Pacey. And I really, really, really love writing for Caroline. Yeah, she, great, Caroline. Yeah, Pacey was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> we've got Mimicry, we've got The Love Triangle in Dawson's Creek with Pacey and Joey and Dawson, and even setting up Sexy Bex as the only girl in the originals. Like, your leading lady is gone. How are you going to continue this so successful love triangle with no Oh, you're like she's you need a job on like E. That was yeah, that's, like, by the way. You know you need to be on like really entertainment well tonight, like Billy Bush on Oh sorry Tierney. Sorry Tierney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she needs to be on the red carpet, she's, like I see you're wearing Prada. I don't like it. <laughs> she's referring to, to Nina leaving this yeah. season, which Kevin, you must have had I mean, Julie, you were kind of prepared for it. You knew it was coming down the line. Kevin, were you prepared for it? Were you surprised? She stays at his house she in lives LA. With me. Yes, I was every morning I'm just like so heavy I, trust me, I worked her. Yeah, Julianne Huff and Nina in his kitchen all the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, and look, here's the deal. I mean, there's a lot of things going into it. Um one one of the things that we set out to do over the course of telling this love story was to tell a story, the love story between two brothers, and to then build up an ensemble around everybody so that each individual person, if we were lucky, would have there be a, a semblance of interest in their character or their relationship with somebody else. And so when, they, when we first started saying, like, what's the show without Nina? Because, like, they don't say to you, well, Nina might not stay, so she leaves the show's over. Like, that's not what they say to you. They say, hey, start thinking about what the show would be without Nina. So you start asking yourself that question, what would the show be without Elena? And you think, well, God, you know, I mean, no offense to Nina, because she was extraordinary, but as writers, you're like, I am so goddamn sick of trying to manage this love triangle. I just want to, like, throw up. Well, so- yeah. <laughs> I, 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 you have to start looking at, like, you. I don't want to speak for you, but what, what else is the show about? Exactly. You know, and I, I also thought, too, when you talked about being lost in grief, I thought the other big thing, it was about finding family. Yeah. It was about embracing your family, finding family, reconnecting with family, just everything. You know, there's a big family element. If, I mean, well, the originals, come on, it's all about family. And so I feel like you, so this season, you, the triangle of Elena may be often existing in the ether. In the ether. Yeah. But guess what? There's a lot of story to tell. Yeah. There's a lot of great emotional, tear jerking, epic scary, thrilling story to tell, I think. So was there any similarity so when when you were sort of when you were sort of breaking season seven of Vampire Diaries, was it similar at all to how you felt when you were launching the originals pilot as far as taking these familiar characters and rebooting them and being able to sort of Yeah, it's fun and you know and I I don't want to be glib about it because like obviously had 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 Nina decided she wanted to stay with the show, like there there would have been a lot of story to continue to tell on that level. But but when she made that decision and the show was going and we were already talking about creatively what season seven would be, as writers we were like, ooh you know, look what door this opens up, or look what opportunity this opens up to like build up this other character, or you know, to to really give juice to this friendship. Because TV storytelling sometimes is like math, right? You're you're dividing 
page count and story time across 41 minutes and like eight characters. And so when when the three in the middle take up 65% of that into 85% of that time, everybody else kind of gets crammed to the side. And so we thought, how great. Now suddenly like the, the 80% is no longer like taking up all, all the space, and so we can open up, we can breathe out, we can introduce some new people. And I don't know, it's just, as writers, and again, not I'm not trying to diminish the impact of her leaving, it's just as creative people sitting in a room all day, every day, coming up with story, it's this really kind of extraordinary opportunity to, like, refresh your brain and to think new thoughts and it's been really like invigorating as well. I mean, I can speak to the, I, I think that Claire Holt, you mentioned Rebecca. Yeah. I think that Claire Holt leaving the originals, obviously, in the perfect world, we would have loved her to stay forever, but it also gave us some of our best storytelling opportunities. Uh, Daniel Gillies having to work on another show while he was working on our show, yeah. and we had to schedule him. Some, some of our best storytelling came out of not having shoot we've yeah. got gillies for one day on this episode how do we make it feel like we've had yeah. him the whole time well yeah. panic is always a great sort of yeah you know and it also like it gives you an, an ending you know claire leaving gave us a story thrust through three quarters of the way through the first season of the originals that we would not have had and it made that section of the season creatively ex- incredibly powerful because we were building to something the audience didn't know it but they probably felt that that section of the of the season was really exciting you know we in our heads as writers knew uh, by like january we were building to you know an exit and so when you know where you're going getting there is so much easier and you're you're jamming everything in in all the right ways and so it you know as a, as a storyteller nina dobrev aside when you know the ending either when you're at the beginning hopefully or at least by the time you're at the middle like it's the clearest way you can you can't just vamp your way through and hope that you stumble on something people do it all the time we've done it i'm sure but like it's just as a writer knowing how it's going to go often is a much better place to start from yeah uh, sorry i don't mean to i feel really rude pointing at people <laughs> Oh, am I not supposed to nod? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Kevin just wants darker Damon all the no, time. No, I, no, I, I, I feel bad because I don't, I, I'm the world's worst because I will spoil something, so I can't, I can't answer Vampire Diaries questions. But no, I mean, I know where they're, I know where it's going, and so I'm like. The hope is, you know, look, the big debate in the writers' room is, is, you know what is the season one version of Damon? The season one version of Damon is the straight villain with um, what we th- what we learned was an obsession with a woman who just happened to look like our lead woman. And then over time that grew into love story and it grew into hero story and it grew into redemption story. And so he went through all those chapters. He went through redemption. He went through hero, at least you know partially. The root of him as a sassy like take no prisoners, do what you got to do to get it done. You know, antihero is still very much there. So it's about diving back into that guy without being encumbered by needing to be the perfect boyfriend and the ideal mate and the right man who makes the right choice. He now has more freedom to kind of be messy with his choices. So I think you'll see 
a darker Damon with the sort of wisdom of his own experience, but a freedom to act out at, as he may feel like he needs to. Okay. I think it's just another way to complicate him. You know, it's just an, and, and, and to show and to have sort of a season of a Damon which feels completely unlike what we've seen before. You know, we're trying to constantly push him. I say we, but Julie is. <laughs> Ian's probably excited for that. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> how, how do you kind of reconcile in your shows that relatability with that, like Ty, my God, I mean, just that outright crazy psycho, and, and Ty's great, I love him, but God, he's scary. Yeah. Ty is awesome. Um, I, we're going to have to wrap it up, I'm sorry guys, because they have another panel to go to, um, but before we finish up, do you guys have any plans to work together again in the future? Do you think your, your paths will cross again? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. We've raised a lot of children together, and so now it's, you know... <laughs> well, uh, yeah, we're just sort of, st- we're kind of st- you're stuck with me, so yeah. until I just, you know, or I'll just sit on the couch and watch you. Okay, fair, <laughs> or I'll sit on the couch and watch you. Either way, someone will be working. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 